loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Adriana Monique Alvarez. Adriana is the founder of AMA Publishing. She's worked with over 1,200 women in 36 countries and has been featured on Forbes, Huffington Post, International Living, Addicted to Success, Elephant Journal, Fox, ABC, and NBC. She's the author of four books, including the international best-selling book, She Made It Happen. She's passionate about creating platforms for entrepreneurs to share their story and create a business they love. She lives in New Orleans with her husband, Derek. I didn't say that right. New Orleans. <laughs> with her husband, Derek, and sons, Sam and Grant. I have been schooled, but, you know, the wrong pronunciation slips out. <laughs> Welcome, Adriana. Thank you so much. You are, you're correct. You caught yourself. <laughs> At least if we correct ourselves, we're doing well, huh? That's right. So obviously, you're a successful business person, and um, that in itself would probably be a story for the show. But uh, we are most deeply here today to talk about um, the, the, your daughter's birth and her, her stillbirth and what that brought about in your life. Um, I'm assuming you already were pretty successful in business before that time. Is that, is that true? That's correct. And so then that just came as a, as a big, I'm sure, a huge shock. You know, one thing I've noticed is that when people are used to being able to make what they want happen, grief is really a blow because there's no way around it. Mm. You, you can't really change it. And I just wondered if you would be uh, willing to share the experience with me and the listeners, what that was like for you. You are so right because when you are used to being a go-getter and an overachiever and you make things happen and you set goals and you check off lists and then life happens and you feel like something is out of your control or beyond your control or the outcome is not at all what you had in mind, it's a, it gives you whiplash in and of itself having that change. And then, like you said, what I experienced myself with grief is grief is highly unpredictable. Mm. So not only are you grieving the loss of, I was grieving the loss of my daughter. I was grieving the loss of the former me, the, the, the woman that was continuously going after what she wanted and optimistic and felt like the luckiest person on the planet to oh my God, is that true? Is that who I am anymore? Mm. And so, yeah, grief. Um, I found that what I did instinctively and automatically was I threw myself into the things that I could do well at. I threw myself into my business even more. 
because the grief journey was not only was it difficult, it would catch me off guard. It would blindside me. It would pop up at the most surprising and inconvenient times. And so for about a year and a half, I was, um, I was trying to outrun it. That's interesting because I've, I've, you know, I've been doing the show a long time. So every week I talk to people who have experienced grief, uh, almost 100% people who have eventually said yes to grief, you know, allowed the feelings to happen and all that. But I find at the, at the start, some people are stopped dead still and other people start going faster. That mm-hmm. isn't predictable either. And it makes sense to me that you kind of we're trying to find the familiar. You're trying to go back to what had always worked. Yes. But, but then you're describing it as trying to outrun the grief. So that implies to me that there are ways in which that didn't work. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> These coping mechanisms have, you know, their pros and cons. Um, <laughs> Every upside has a down, huh? <laughs> that is so true. You know, the upside was, and, and it was what I was hoping for, and I, I did get one wish out of this coping mechanism is I did not, you know, I have two other children, and so this was my saving grace in a sense because had I not had two little boys and two little faces looking at me every day, I very well know I would have went into the deepest, darkest hole immediately. I would have just plunged into a very dark place. And while I was not at all the mom or the wife or the friend, the the woman that I was prior, I could not justify leaving them hanging and, and disappearing on them. So what kept me in the game was I knew I needed to talk to people. I knew I needed to get out of bed and get dressed and talk to clients and do things with my family. Um, but what I realized at some point was that I, a part of that was also me hoping that all of this was just a bad dream, that mm-hmm. it was actually going to have the ending I wanted and when that, that reality hit for real, then I would say the true grief and the anger and the frustration, and that's when I really began looking at those big emotions that I had been putting off and hoping I really wouldn't have to face. Well, that's interesting, too, because uh, in what I've read getting ready for today and getting a little sense of you, uh, it, it seems to me like you would have been helped in that, that or quote unquote helped in it, uh, that could carry on longer because everyone else was sort of ignoring. Oh, yes. In a sense, what had happened, which I find is so common in situations like stillbirth, uh, where, you know, uh, you're the one who's most intimately known that child mm-hmm. up to that point. And uh, I can imagine that no one talking about it allowed you to maintain that denial or whatever we want to call it, maybe even longer. Does that uh, fit? Oh, for yes, you? absolutely. Because 100% everyone wanted to ignore it. If, if we don't mention it, if we don't talk about it, not only is it 
not awkward and uncomfortable, but, you know, um, the words that were frequently used were maybe she can just move on. Mm. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is I feel like my daughter is actually the one who brought it all back in my face, so to speak, as a gift, as a way to help me. Because I am the type, my personality is naturally going to look for the best in things. I'm, I'm foolishly optimistic. You, <laughs> many people would tell you that. And I can't help myself. But then I, I do believe that Nina came back and caught me in the fall of last year to say, and it's okay. And you at the same time can give expression to the pain, to the hurt, to the disappointment. That's interesting that, that you felt as if you were getting a communication going with her. You know, one thing I, I'm pretty intent on working with grief is that uh, death doesn't end relationships. Mm. It, it ends bodies. And uh, so that, that sort of reminds me of that, that you still have a sense of relationship with your daughter, um, no matter what, and, no that, matter. and that that continues to unfold and develop um, despite the, the loss of her with you. It's true. And I love that you make that part of the conversation and, and what you believe, because that is that has very much been my experience. I had a connection to her before I got pregnant, and I have had a, re a relationship and a connection with her since the stillbirth. And it just matures and develops over time, just like every other relationship we have does. And just in a very different way. <laughs> in a different way, yes, exactly. Yes. And. You know, I, I have actually been hesitant to speak about this because we have, as a society, as a culture, we don't really like to talk about death or know what to do with it. Uh, we don't really know how to assist those who are going through the grieving process. And, and then to bring this other aspect, and I have a relationship with the daughter that died, it, it can really weird some people out. But it's just the truth, and it's a reminder to me that the world that we taste, touch, hear, and smell, you know, the, the, the world that feels so real to us, it, it is and it isn't in that this veil between worlds is very thin, and the, the connection beyond is there if we're open to it. Absolutely, but, but also the truth is uh, that... For instance, um, I don't see my children all the time, my living children or my grandchildren, but I have relationships with them inside of me, whether or not we're in the same room together. I also think for people who don't have, um, you know, I, I have a, a personal sense of what you're talking about that, you know, we're not, we're not all there is. But for people who don't have that, it's still true that that relationship continues uh, yes. because it's within us. It really is. These, this relationship, these memories, these conversations, 
this this love that we have it lives within us that absolutely that is a great example you know i've i've been pregnant once in my life my oldest daughter i gave birth to the other two are um are adopted but um it's it's preposterous to think that I wouldn't have had deep grief if she had been stillborn. Uh, it's it's for anyone who's wanted children, uh, that would be impossible to imagine that that wouldn't affect you, unless and yet people I've spoken with you and other people um, uniformly have the experience of everyone trying to pretend it's no big deal. Isn't that curious? Oh, it is so interesting. I, I was shocked by the response, by the suggestions that people would think that this sort of loss and would not, not create any pain, would not create, would not be cause for grief. Or, or that we wouldn't desire the same sort of comfort and process that anyone else would want. It, it was very interesting. I can't tell you from medical professionals to just, you know, clients or acquaintances, family members. It was just, you know, let's not talk about this and just get pregnant again. Well, and that's the thing. Sometimes the, the things people do because they're uncomfortable are worse than saying nothing. For instance, that idea, well, you can have another child. I mean, that that's irrelevant at that moment where you've or you've lost a child. I would I would imagine that's almost an insult. Yes. Um, or uh, well, it wasn't meant to be. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, all those kinds of things that people say really are do harm. I, I, I don't think people are trying to be harmful. But I can imagine there's a way that that must have felt, those kind of comments maybe felt even worse than people who didn't know what to say. Definitely. I can tell you on multiple occasions, I would just sob. Um, typically for the remainder, remainder of the day after those comments were made, I remember once I was in a Facebook group and I could very quickly tell the difference between the response to mothers who had lost a child that was four, five, or 17, and for the woman who had had a stillbirth. It was a real huge separation and the difference in the dialogue. And it was very, very easy for people to say, it just wasn't meant to be, and just move on and, and leave it at that. And I just thought, you know, no one says that when a 16-year-old is lost. Nobody says, well, it just wasn't meant to be. Let's not talk about this anymore, and let's just keep going. True that. Yeah. And, and in a way, um, the loss of promise that happens when, when a child is, is, uh, dies at birth, that's huge as well, isn't it? You've, you've, yes. you've uh, imagined things for that child you've and you've imagined you with them as their mother that's um we have such incredible brains that that also is a loss isn't it it really is and that is exactly it there is so much that happens in a pregnancy there's so much buildup, so much anticipation and you're exactly right i remember having specific 
plans because of just like the way we worked and traveled at that time. Uh, I couldn't wait to take her to certain places or I was going to, I had this whole plan of that I was going to keep her while I did like my video conference calls. And I had this, all of these things planned out. And I remember one of the worst feelings was the moment I was at the hospital and I'm laying in bed and I'm walk they're, they're coming in and telling me that I can be released. I can go home. And the idea that I was going to walk out of this hospital empty handed was the worst feeling in the world because never had that been part of that, that imagination. Like you said, in that mental process and all of the planning, you never imagine you're going to walk out of the hospital empty handed. And that was one of the worst moments of my life. Yeah. Almost leaving her behind. I can imagine it would feel like. Yes. It's, it's time for our first break. Listeners, you can find links to my website, social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. There's also a link to my novel, An Ocean Between Them. If, uh, if you go and read it, please let me know what you think of that. And to find Adriana Alvarez, go to adrianamoniquealvarez.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Adriana Monique Alvarez about her her daughter's stillbirth and what that's led to in her life. And, um, you know, you said earlier, Adriana, that uh, in a way having young children 
um, your two sons uh, and, and a husband, a marriage, kind of kept you in the game in a way. Um, but I also know, having had children when my wife died, that uh, there's also a, um, it can be very hard to navigate um, children's grief on top of your own or with your own. And of course, I'm sure your sons had ideas about their, the baby that was going to be. And I just wondered how that was working with them around uh, their grief experience and your husband as well. Mm, good question. Yes, it was the whole combination. My boys were very young at the time. Um, and while they co obviously comprehended enough and had watched my belly grow, they, they would touch on it and then they would leave it. But it was definitely difficult to answer the question when it would just pop up at random times. Why did you never let us see our sister? Why did you not bring our sister home? Mm -hmm. Because all they knew is that I left to the hospital and baby didn't come home. And so there were times when it was very difficult to find the way to explain to a three and four year old what happened and why, why we don't get to have a birthday party. They, they were all ready. They were set to have a little birthday cake and a birthday party for her. And, and also I think one of the things that I noticed with my boys is that I didn't want to always be sad in front of them. I didn't want to cry in front of them. And that was another part of me sort of holding this in and swallowing my own tears because I just didn't want to be that mother that was perpetually sad. In terms of my marriage, Derek and I, we went through different grieving processes, but thankfully what we decided from the beginning is that we were going to stay on the same side and we were going to do it together. And we allowed each other to grieve however we individually wanted to. And it helped so much. I mean, there were times when we just sat together and there was nothing to say and there was nothing to do, but we just allowed ourselves to sit in a lot of silence and just mm -hmm. be with what was. That's interesting that in the silence you could find the commonality. Yes. Whereas perhaps if you talked out loud about it, the differences in the way you were experiencing it would have been more um, intense or uh, noticeable. Yes, I agree. We went on a date every single day for about the first year. And many times we didn't have anything to say or to do in particular, but we just knew we needed that time together. And I think that that was what we knew more than anything is, and when you go through this, sometimes it's hard to even tell others and communicate to others what you need, but sometimes you just need someone's presence and that's what we gave each other. And that also means that, um, you know, I've, I've talked with uh, several other women who've, uh, who've had stillbirth or late pregnancy loss, all things in that. And sometimes a partner doesn't really want to grieve either, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it sounds as if you were both aware that this was a loss 
and that you're going to have to make some room for it. Um, keep everything else going too, but that sounds as if you accepted that you were both going to hurt from it. Yes, exactly. We, we were aware of that much. We were both going to hurt from it. We both were going to need to work through something, even if we couldn't identify exactly what it was. And as you said, there were a lot of things that we did have to keep going. And we knew that we couldn't, and that's part of why I threw myself into work. I could not imagine losing my business and what we had worked 10 years for and our daughter. That was not an option for me. And I wasn't going to lose my marriage and my daughter. And I wasn't going to lose my connection to my boys. And I wasn't going to lose my health. I was unwilling to lose anything else. Mm. That shows a tenacity of spirit that you have, right? <laughs> because for some people, they're initially maybe not going going further and forward but initially if i've lost that forget it right mm, yes. <laughs> i don't care about anything um that's less common than than some people think but it it is pretty common and you didn't go through that phase you you tenaciously said nothing else you don't get to have anything else i'm keeping everything else yes Oh, yes. I, I was sometimes crazy about it. It was like, I'm not losing a sock. I'm not losing a pen. Like I was unwilling to lose anything. <laughs> That's like, so interesting because I associate like lost keys and, you know, I mean, many people in grief misplace things all the time. Um, yeah. It's true because I noticed that, you know, your mind just does not function the same when you are in grief, whether or not you are fully expressing it or not. I mean, it's in your body, right? Yes. And the mind is so affected. And where I really noticed it was I'm the type of person that I could tell you what I was wearing that time we went to watch that, ex that specific movie in San Diego four years ago. I have that kind of memory. <laughs> and what I found after Nina was I actually couldn't recall entire chunks of time. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that's something to get used to, isn't it? Oh, yes. I had uh -huh. to be a lot more patient with myself because I would go, this, I mean, I usually know details and I just, I didn't have anything. And then I also began informing Derek and some of our staff, you know, this, this is the thing. I'm going to need you to remind me of stuff because I went from being the person who kept track of everything in my head to not being able to. The brain will only take so much, I guess. I, I know that many um, many widows and widowers um, at older ages, when they lose their spouse, they're initially uh, often diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which they don't have. Mm. Um, you know, because uh, just, just by the accident of them being old and in grief, uh, people jump to that conclusion, but it's actually not true. And, and you know, a couple of years in, their, their memory returns. So that's kind of, no one would have thought that about you, right? <laughs> but, exactly. Um, but I think there is that phenomenon with grief where your brain just does not work the same for a period of time. No. And it, uh, uh, that to me would have been a way you did get support in other ways you didn't, but 
people accommodating that your memory just wasn't going to be as sharp during this period. Uh, did that feel supportive to you that they were, they could help you in that way? It did. It, that felt like huge support. And I think one of the greatest ways I grew through this whole thing was allowing support because, and, and admitting this is something I'm not particularly excelling at right now. So this is where we need to make adjustments. Those types of things, I, I rarely had myself in those types of situations before this. And so to be able to communicate that, to receive support, and to also, most of all, let myself off the hook. Mm. Be kind to yourself about it, huh? Yes. And, and I also learned through the process I just decided there were things, there were responsibilities I wasn't going to do anymore because it was going to be too much. I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do any cleaning. We're going to hire someone for that. I'm not, I took a whole, I love to cook, but I took a long period off of cooking because I couldn't, I couldn't do all the things anymore. And also what I found was is some of the things that brought me the most joy before Nina, I I wasn't yet willing to give myself permission to do those things because I didn't know how much joy I should be having mm. while also going through the loss of a child. That's so, uh, I won't say universal, but so, so common. There's almost a, um, a guilt at having joy uh, where in fact, the, you know, it's not depression. The rest of you isn't gone. <laughs> no. Um, it, it, I, I, I like to say learning to live with grief is learning to have two experiences at the same time. Oh, yeah, that uh, is it exactly. And you know what? You just reminded me. This is what happened to me just recently in the last few months. So there was a day I woke up and I just got hit with a wave of grief. There was not a particular thing or anniversary that I can recall. It just, you know, I was one of those mornings I woke up and I had told everyone, I think I'm just going to stay at home. I think I just need to be quiet. I think I just need some time. But it was also a really sunny day and it's very difficult for me to stay home and stay inside when it's sunny. And my boys had said, we want to go to the park. And I said, I was debating mentally what I was going to do because of this thing. Uh, can I allow myself to go have fun? My boys want to go to the park. It's a bright sunny day and be sad about Nina. How, how am I going to navigate this? And one of my sons came in the bedroom and said, just his little eyes, you know, mama, would you please come? And so I decided to go to the park. And while we were at the park, it was the very first day my son ever rode his bike without training wheels. And that was the day I said, grief is about me being extremely happy and so proud and in the moment with Sam while he rides his bike in the bright sunshiny day and me absolutely brokenhearted that Nina's not here too. That's exactly what I, what I was thinking of when I said that. Both can happen at the same time. Uh, I don't think we're, I don't think we're um, taught, raised. Um, we, we don't get the idea that that's even possible. But I feel as if grief sort of requires it. It does. Because there's, there's really, 
This is why for most people, if you keep them separate, functioning is going to be very challenging. Because either it's down, dark dumps, or it's, it's good days, and, and it's very hard to go bounce between those or give yourself permission to. I even found this during Mardi Gras. We just celebrated our first Mardi Gras here in New Orleans. And there is so much joy and excitement for two solid weeks. Mm. The momentum of this celebration is, is stronger, I will say. It was stronger than any of the sadness, the pain, or grief within me. And I gave myself full permission to be incredibly happy like a child for two weeks. And it changed something within me. And I realized in that moment, hey, I'm ready to start cooking again. Hey, I'm ready to start traveling again. Hey, I'm ready to do this. And it was because I gave myself permission to feel joy. I, I don't have to pay a price. I don't have to separate the experiences. I'm, I can have it the full spectrum within me at once. There's sort of a uh, of an, uh, an irony or a paradox uh, in that because why do we miss people? You know, why why is grief so painful? It's because we love life, yes. right? <laughs> we we love that being being here with us, which to me is part of loving life, and so it seems to me uh, there's a way. We could even, I know this is true for me, my joy is bigger. Yes. So is my sadness. You know, every, every response I have to living is bigger because I've been through that experience. But then we're trying to tamp down the ones that, you know, we find out of place somehow. So true. And that, that is exactly what I would say, that I went through some, this, this growth, this, I turned a corner during Mardi Gras. And it's exactly what you just described. I felt myself expand. Like I could experience all of this to a greater degree. I, I just had a, um, a vision in my head of many um, parades of death in the part of the country where you live. Yes. Uh, where there's there's an orchestra practically at the front, and there's so much painful joy in those ways of honoring someone who's died, aren't there? I mean, it's not somber. No, no, it's not. And, you know, coming to New Orleans has taught me so much in in witnessing how the people live here and what they do. And it's that living, breathing reminder, but that's it right there. You know, it's a celebration. All of it is celebrated. Like, like you said, it, it's celebration and somber in the same moment and realizing, you know, that that's it. That's it. We don't ice. We don't live in isolated emotions and isolated moments. It's a big mix and the sooner we embrace that, the better life can be. Uh, there's a there's a uh, man, uh, John Kabat-Zinn, who teaches meditation, and he wrote a book called The Whole Catastrophe, 
I love that title. <laughs> you yes. know, that's what we're talking about, the whole catastrophe, all of it. Uh, I know you're in the midst of writing a book about this experience, and I also know that you are um, kind of being there for other women going through a similar experience. And uh, we're, we're, it's almost time for a break, but I really want to talk about that. Um, you know, I find that people who, there are some people who immediately write uh, about the experience and I've interviewed many of them. And then there are people who don't at first and have to come around to it, um, but feel compelled to do it. Uh, I'm just starting to think about doing that and it's 25 years out almost from my wife's death. You know, we're, we're all very different in the timing and I'd love to talk about how that experience is going for you. I usually talk to people after they've finished, right? Mm -hmm. But you're right in the midst. So when we get back from our break, let's talk about that. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Adriana Monique. Alvarez about the stillbirth of her daughter Nina and before the break Adriana um, I I mentioned I'd like to talk with you about the memoir you're writing you've obviously written books before first of all is it a, a very different experience to write about this as opposed to kind of I, I get the impression your other books are informative and and inspiring and kind of pep talk ish Uh, and and this would be a completely different kind of book i wonder how that is for you to be writing uh you know about uh such a crushing experience that obviously you've started to make things 
make meaning out of and, and but it's still a different kind of writing isn't it it is yeah my other books mainly are are business related or like you said teaching something and encouraging others along the way and this is entirely different i would say books are always challenging for me but this one is particularly challenging and i think part of it is is you relive the experience when you write and also me wanting to find this balance between sharing my story and then providing something that would help a woman who has went through it herself because i know when it happened to me the very first thing i wanted to do was find somebody else it had happened to i desperately needed to know i wasn't the only one yes and in that sense you don't have to really all you have to do is tell your story i i'm a little inclined when i'm new in a grief i don't want to read about grief i i like to read grief you know mm -hmm. I, i'm peculiar that way i guess um uh, you know, I want to I want to read about another person's grief that I can relate to. Yes. Um, some people really want instruction right away, but that's never been my inclination. So I can imagine there are many people who just reading your your honestly told story, they would feel very supported by that. Hmm. You know, even just you saying that, that just cleared so much up for me because I was the same way. I, even to this minute, I'm the same way. I don't really want instruction. I just want to know I'm not alone. Mm. And that, yes. that feels like the most loving, supportive thing that we can have. You mentioned on the break, though, that you're, you're getting some pushback from people in your life, maybe not wanting you to write this book. Did I hear that correctly? You did. It's been a bit of a sh <laughs> shock for me too, honestly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, because especially because the last three years of business, I have been dedicated exclusively to working with women and supporting women. And I made the decision to write this book and to write a TED talk about it. And I started posting it on social media where I have, shared everything in my business and I thought I was going to receive support from women you know maybe, maybe that would sort of come back the other direction um, but I I have been experiencing a lot of people unhappy with it and I'm wondering if it's not so much of they don't want me to share my story but it can bring up things for people that they might not be ready to look at or deal with. Hmm. And one so thing that, one thing that occurs to me is uh, that because of the work you do, I'm imagining that people um, kind of see you as leading them into their best lives and, um, so the idea that you are, in fact, not in control of your destiny in these ways. Uh, you know, we want to think our heroes have it all together and nothing ever bad happens. And, you know, I wonder if that's partly that, too. It, uh, it's so interesting you say that because a friend recently told me that. She said, you know, one of 
the possible problems here is that so many people have put you up on a pedestal. And, and you know what happens when we put people on a pedestal, right? They fall off. They fall off. <laughs> Right. Or we knock them off, right? It's, it's like uh, in People Magazine, you can go from building someone up and, oh my gosh, she's, she's obviously perfectly airbrushed and she's got everything anyone could want. And then on the back page, we're like, oh, and check her out. Look, she left her apartment looking like this. Did you see that outfit? Right? <laughs> we'll do it in the same magazine, right? Um, and, and I do believe that that's part of it. It's... You know, but I want to make a case in the other direction because, of course, in every life, if we are lucky enough to live long enough, uh, there's difficulty, right? Mm -hmm. So, the idea that you could actually make meaning from your difficulty and apply all of the good strategies that you have to grief to me, could be inspiring. I mean, I could imagine that someday when bad stuff happens to the people who follow you on Facebook, they go, well, she did it. Mm. She was able to do it. You know, I, I don't know. I think, uh, of course, I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a particular case because that's what I find inspiring. Uh, obviously, that's what I, what I do on this show is talk to people who've made something out of their losses, right? But yes. um, I want, I want to, you know, I want to give you, uh, <laughs> a, I don't know, a pep talk about it. Like, I think that would be um, very meaningful as well, well, even if some people would have a rough time with it. I, I appreciate that. And I agree. I think that what I want to do is show that, that, you know, a life lived well is not free and clear and void of difficult things. And I think that it's so easy because I, I was part of this as well. You know, I was always raised to believe like, you know, if bad things happen, it means you did something wrong. Mm. And of course, that is exactly what I felt when this happened. I went through a million scenarios. If I would have done this, would this have happened? If I wouldn't have done that, would this have happened? Mm -hmm. Looking at, you know, examining every possible angle and then realizing that's the thing with life and especially with children, families, any relationship we have, we're not 100% in control of what happens. Indeed. And so I want to be able to be open about these things and also to be able to share that truthfully, while it is the de most devastating thing I've ever been through, I wouldn't be who I am today without it because it really did crack me open and help me find new depths to myself and make me view life and love and the present moment differently. And so without it, I would not have been put in a position to dig deeper. Mm. That's, that's what's coming to my mind is the, the serenity prayer, you know, courage to change the things you can, um, mm. serenity to accept what you can't and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm always captured by the wisdom to know the difference. 
And uh, in my mind, grief teaches about that. Oh, I'm not in control. I'm, I have strong influence. There are things I can change and affect, but there are other things I can't. And there's, at first that seems frightening to me, or it was frightening to me, uh, but eventually it's a comfort. Oh, it's not just all about me. <laughs> yes. Know? There's other things going on. <laughs> I totally agree. You know, <laughs> being an absolute control freak, it was like, wait a second, this is the worst news. And then it was like, oh, thank God. You know, there's, there's more at play here. There, there is order and design. And, and, you know, I have practiced surrender more in the last two years, I have this practice actually on a daily basis where I lay flat on my back and I physically bring myself into this place of surrender. I surrender to life. And, and you know, one of the things that I had to come full circle on was I can trust myself. I can trust life. Hmm. Even though this happened, I can trust myself. I can trust life. And I surrender to this great adventure that I'm on. One thing I realized, you know, at the beginning of my wife's illness, I was so panicked, uh, terribly anxious, and um, not in very good shape at first. Of course, right? <laughs> Scary yes. situation. But the more time went on, uh, the more it felt to me like, oh, I'm not guarding against anything that might happen. I can handle it. Mm. I'm made for this. Yes. And by the time she died, I was actually very calm. Mm. Isn't that curious? I mean, I had a lot of time, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, pre her death to 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 kind of wrestle with all of those uh all of those issues of control non-control surrender but i have to say that um it's i'm never i don't i'm not a big what if -er anymore mm. things will happen and i'll respond to them yes <laughs> Uh, so I think there, there, that is the potential of, uh, I would never have chosen to have that experience. Let's have that experience and, you know, learn to, learn to accept life as it is. But that is what happened. Yes. It, uh, it and like you said it, um, I can handle this. I made for this. And it's really in these times that we, discover what our capacity really is the human spirit is incredible and we begin to have a little insight into it when we experience these things yeah because uh for one thing it's very it's very odd it's it seems thinking about these terrible losses we there's a part of us that thinks we won't survive it don't you think if you, I mean, I thought about it a lot. You probably didn't think about it at all, right? But um, I, it was just a blank slate. I couldn't imagine, you know, what it would look like to survive. But then you do. Yes. 
And that's a whole different world in a way, wouldn't you say? It is. I remember having the awareness at various times in the last two years of going when, when I would have that moment or a wave of grief and then I would have this flash and I would say, but I'm here now and I'm safe now and I have what I need now. So if all of this is true now, then I'm okay. It's amazing to be able to get to that, to that place. Uh, you know, all of the, uh, I guess California where I live is particularly uh, going in the direction of, of death awareness and, uh, you know, death cafes are really big around here where people come together and talk about death, um, which of course involves talking about grief. And by and large, people feel better once they get used to uh, an open discussion of that realm, they feel better and less afraid than they did before. I mm-hmm. find that miraculous. Yes, that, that's been my experience too. It's when we can open up to it. So much relief comes. Well, I hope, Adriana, after you write the book, you'll, you'll send it to me. Maybe we'll have another hour together um, because I think it's important for these stories to be told, the ones who get, the, the stories that get quieted down for them to, to get told. So let's keep in touch. Thanks Thank for being you. here today. I appreciate it. And listeners, you can go to Adriana Monique Alvarez if you'd like to um, see more about her and the work she does. And that's it for today. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week.